number of years ago, I had a telephone call, and the person who, uh, on the other end of the line, said, you have won a holiday. You have won a holiday. You are one of the lucky people. You have won a holiday. And in order to claim your holiday, you just need to come to a particular meeting in Norwich, and uh, there we'll tell you about your holiday so you can claim it and get all the details for it. Actually, what they really wanted us to do was go to a meeting and tell us about timeshare. That was really what the meeting was about. And the idea of the meeting was if you could endure two hours of heavy selling, you got the free holiday of a a trip to Ibiza in February. (laughs) Plus a trip to Cornwall, I believe in December. And so we went through all their presentation, all their sales pictures, and got the holiday. And when you get to the holiday, they then want you to go to one meeting where they, for two hours, tell you about timeshare, to sell you timeshare. And the idea is you just resist and resist and resist, and then you just enjoy your holiday. And you go to Cornwall and have one morning of sales pictures, and then you just enjoy the holiday. They understood this. If they had called us up and told us about timeshare, we'd have put the phone immediately down. If they had got us to the meeting and just told us about timeshare for two hours, they're not going to tell, they're not going to sell us anything. But if they can get you from England to Ibiza, from Lowestoft to Cornwall, and if they can get you to taste, touch, smell, and feel what timeshare can do, they can then get you to buy into the vision. Because it's not enough just to tell you about you can have a holiday and you can have this every year and this could be your place in the sun and this could be your getaway. They need you to be able to taste it, touch it, see it, experience it. And often you find that with Amazon and marketing nowadays, it's not about what the manufacturer tells you about it. It's what the public tell you about it. It's what your friends tell you about it who have not just heard the vision of a particular product but have used it and touched it and they then tell you the vision because they've had an experience of it. So it's interesting in Numbers 13 where Israel have left Egypt and they've got a promise of going into a promised land, a land that's going to be their own and there's a vision that it's going to be a land that's really good. It's going to flow with milk and honey. It's going to be a land that's really amazing. And you're going to be able to plant. And you're going to be able to sow. And you're going to be able to build. And you're going to be able to harvest. And it's going to be your land. But in order to get a group of men and women who are essentially slaves in their mentality, who used to be slaves in Egypt, to become warriors, to become those who can overcome obstacles and face giants and, and, and face Jericho and face huge obstacles and sacrifice. They need more than words. They need to be able to taste, touch, smell and see the vision. And so God says to Moses, send in 12 leaders, 12 representatives of the people to go into the land to find out if the people there are weak or if they're strong, if there are many, if there are few, what the land is like, are there trees, aren't there trees, but also to come back from the land with a sample of the land. 
And it says in the Bible, they went into the land in the season where the grapes were just ripening. And then you have this amazing image of the people, of this team, carrying the produce back to show the people. And it says they had to carry it. I believe there's two people carrying these grapes because they're so enormous and so amazing. Because they want the people to see the vision, taste the vision, touch the vision. They want them to be able to see, wow, this truly is a land that's very, very special. Look at the fruit of this land and it's all yours. It wasn't enough to just have some words and some, some description. They need to see it. They need to be full of the grapes. They need it to be in their belly so they say, we want that. We're going to go for that. We're going to push through and sacrifice for that. We're going to be courageous for that. And so for us as a people, the journey we're on is, we don't want you just to, we don't just want to be a family that memorises a card. That's right. <laughs> And if anybody comes to you and says, what's the vision of the church you're in? Well, it's as it is in heaven and we're, about, we're, we're a fibre family. And you can repeat it. We want it to be something that you have so radically tasted Amen. and touched Amen. and observed and seen that you and I would actually be those who are courageous champions and sacrifice to have it. Because we've seen it, we've observed it, we've experienced it. So this vision then, what are we all about? As it is in heaven. It really starts with each of us having a vision to enjoy totally the inheritance that we have in Jesus Christ. It really starts with a passion to say... I want to experience what Jesus has won for me at the cross. I want to experience as much of it as I possibly can right now. It says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so our vision might be, I want to live as a radically free person. Radically free from the fear of people or people pleasing. I want to be radically free from... Um, a numbing pain through sin. I want my inner world to be with the culture of heaven that's freedom. It can be a vision, so I want to be a hope-filled believer, so that whatever I face, I look at it through the lens of the God of all hope. That whenever I face anything, actually, I might be moved by it, I might be challenged by it, I might wrestle with it, but I always come to a perspective of hope. A vision to say, Holy Spirit distributes gifts. I want to function in the gifts of heaven. To have a vision to say, I want to live from the identity as a much-loved son and a much-loved daughter. Where you understand that you already have the verdict that you're loved more than all the treasure in the earth right now before you do a thing. And that performance and the things we do and the things we give ourselves to would flow out of the fact we're already accepted in Christ and what Christ has already done. And so we want this inner world to grow, to mature, to have the culture of heaven. Culture is the natural, lived-out behaviour of a group of people. And so culture is British people queue. Put us anywhere, we'll find a queue. That's our natural lived out behaviour. 
where there's a group of people, we'll want to know who's at the front of the queue, who's at the back of the queue, because that's our natural lived out behaviour. We don't have to think about it. Where's the queue? Natural lived out behaviour, say, of British culture is if someone bumps into us, we say sorry. Amen. That's our natural lived out behaviour. They bump into us, they hurt us, oh, sorry. <laughs> our natural lived out behaviour is we don't complain. Amen. I saw a, a guy playing around with this, serving the most awful coffee to people on the streets in Britain, and people were drinking it, saying, that's nice. <laughs> and, and sure, and we've got other cultural traits, they're positive ones as well. Every culture has got things that are wonderfully kingdom. Some of them are neutral, and some of them need to be redeemed by the kingdom. Our struggle with confrontation needs to be a, a kingdom principle, but actually we're really radically honest. But it's natural lived out behaviour, a culture. That's what we do. And so we want to align with the culture of heaven. Amen. So that our natural lived out behaviour is Christ-like. How Amen. Christ responded, how Christ um, uh, pushed through to the vision, how, how Christ overcame rejection, how Christ loved, how Christ spoke. Because we want overflow. Natural inward culture leads to natural overflowing. Jesus said the overflow of, of, of the heart comes out of the mouth. It just overflows. And so we want a culture of our heart, of natural lived out behaviour, that overflows in what we say, that overflows in what we do, in overflows in what we give ourselves to. That's our vision. That it, this kingdom might overflow in our daily lives. Because at the core of who we are is this. We believe that the church is about more than you observing, but you participating. Amen. The very core of this is that Jesus didn't just wow the people with his miraculous and wonderful things. He equipped 12. He equipped the 72. He sent them out to do the works of the kingdom. And he said that these are the signs that will follow those who believe. So Jesus was establishing a kingdom, a way of ruling that empowered people to not just observe but to be participants to not just hear stories of breakthrough but be in the story themselves i remember as a 10 year old we always used to go to speedway on a thursday night to watch the ipswich witches and uh, speedway is these motorbikes that, that, that race on shale around a track four times and my favourite rider was John Louis. I had John Louis' badge, I had the, the scarf. I loved that rider. And I remember thinking one day, I'm never going to be a speedway rider, am I? I don't have a bike, and I don't have the levers. I don't want to go to something where I'm always going to be the observer and never the participant. So I said, I don't want to go anymore. Because I sussed out, you could possibly become a footballer if you had two shirts to make into goals, and you had a football. I kind of thought actually anybody could potentially be a footballer if they just had those elements and had a couple of people to, to create a team with. And I think that the, the, the church is the most exciting place on the planet when you are not an observer of something, but you are a participant. It's the most exciting place on the planet when you know that you have gifts, that you've got callings, that you've got anointings, that you've got convictions, 
that you're not just observing someone else's, but you are an active participant. That the, 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 the great cloud of witnesses are watching you and watching me. And so the Olympics can be fun and amazing to watch incredible people who have been diligent and trained and sacrificed for that gold and that moment. We can give ourselves to something of even greater value. So when this gets into our heart that we have a radical vision for our own inner life, I want to be where you are and I want to become enculturated by Christ and I want to think and, and live out of a perspective of heaven and I want to behave naturally more and more like Jesus. When we know that in our heart and we think, actually I've got a vision that this isn't just for me, this is overflow, that I'm not just going to observe, but I'm going to participate, that my unique personality, character, gifting is going to overflow to advance the rule of God to create as it is in heaven on earth. When we have that living in us, when we've tasted it and seen it and touched it, and it's more than just words, and it's more than just someone telling us this is what you need to value, this is what you need to do, but it lives in us, we then find ourselves in Proverbs 29, 18, of being um, led by vision. And the writer says in Proverbs 29 and verse 18, where there is no revelation or vision, people cast off restraint. In other words, where people don't know where they're going, they have no vision, they have no mission, they have no revelation, they have no vision for their life. They just cast off restraint and they do whatever they want because they're going nowhere. They're not making decisions based on, I'm going there, I want that. And we can see that in the natural, where a guy who was a decathlete in the 1970 games, he, he didn't get on the podium, he didn't win a gold, and he decided on that night that when the Olympics is next on, I'm going to be the gold medalist. And so instead of going to the after-games party, he went immediately, created a training program where he would excel and be the greatest in each of the ten events for the next Olympics. And then he gave himself and he trained and he worked hard and yet he did win the gold at the next Olympics because he had a vision, I want to be on the podium and then he made a sacrifice on the basis of the vision. So when we have revelation, when we have prophetic vision, when we taste and see and touch vision, when it's more than words, it causes us to restrain our options and to train our lives towards something. Suddenly vision says... You want to go there, these are going to be the boundaries of your life. And it's vision that does that. Not law. This is the glorious thing about the gospel, and we heard it when we were breaking bread, is that the verdict of not guilty comes in before the performance. So we don't have to do anything in order to get a verdict. The verdict is already in. So what's our motivation then? Our motivation isn't rules and laws and religion to somehow get into a place that we're already in. It's vision. I build a boundary around my life because I'm going somewhere. I restrict my options willingly because I've seen something, I've tasted something, I'm going for something. And so if you taste and see that the Lord is good and you taste the freedom, the hope, the joy, the identity, the love, the peace, the friendship with God, the, the life in the kingdom, and you taste it, why, why would you want to go and drink in broken cisterns of dirty water? That's right. 
Why would you want to numb the pain of disappointment through sin? Why? It would be it's utter, utterly ridiculous. If you know that you're a royal son and daughter who's been invited to live in the palace, why would you want to live in the gutter? So it's not the law that gets the person from the gutter in repentance back to the palace. It's vision. I'm better than this. I've got a higher calling than this. I've got a purpose to give my life to. I've seen it, touched it, I've tasted it, I want it. So it's not law that gets you up in the morning and says, I want to chat with you, God, I want to be in your presence. It's because you've tasted something that vision has given you. So vision gives focus. It causes us to have boundaries around our lives. So it's vision that says, I won't watch that, I will watch that. Because I've found out what pleases the Lord in my life, and it's not that, it's that. Because I've got a vision to enjoy the freedom of the kingdom and the freedom of the presence of God. It's vision that tells us what to say yes to and what to say no to. It's vision that... Uh, for example, when Rachel and I got married, it was vision that decided, would we live in France or would we live in the UK? It was vision. Vision for the church, vision for where we wanted to serve God. It's vision. It's vision that dictates where you spend your money and, and where you don't spend your money. It's vision. It's not the law. It's vision that will tell you on a Saturday night, I'm not going to get drunk because I want to be up in the morning to be with him and his people. It's vision. It's not the law. Because grace will tell you, yeah, you're still a son and a daughter. You might be living below your calling. You're still a son and a daughter. You need an identity wake up. It's vision that will cause us to direct our energies wisely. It's vision. It's vision that says, I won't drift through life because I'm going somewhere on purpose. It's vision. I've been captivated by him. I've been captivated by his love and I've been captivated by the freedom that's in him. So I'm going somewhere and I'm going there on purpose. That's the visionary. And all of us are called to live with revelation and vision. It's vision that gives pain a purpose. It's vision that will cause us to endure hardship, risk and difficulty because of vision. It's vision that will cause us to enjoy discomfort for the rewards, the opportunities and the possibilities that are found in his kingdom. It's vision. If you go to the gym... There are vision statements everywhere in the, in the form of before and after photographs. And the before pictures will be someone who's not really posing. They're not looking very fit. They look like they could do with some exercise. And then the, the after picture is the visionary one. It's them post. It's them post the exercise and the discipline. And the before and after picture is to give you a vision to push, push through the pain of going to the gym. <laughs> I mean, you know, January, the gym membership goes way up. In February, it goes way down. In the summer, it goes back up because people are thinking about beaches. 
and beach bodies. And after the summer, it goes back to normal until Christmas. Then it goes back up again because we've got family coming, so we need a new sofa and a new body. <laughs> and his vision, his vision that pushes through the pain of getting up on a cold winter's day and going to the gym. See, vision takes us past safety and into vulnerability. Vision is that what takes us to do something that absolutely terrifies us at first, to see it become part of your everyday life. It's vision that does that. It's vision that took us from saying, lay your hand on the sick and believe for Jesus to heal them, and it was vision that did the terrifying thing, has anything happened? Has anybody had an improvement? Has anybody been healed? Has anybody had a breakthrough? It was what was terrifying that then became normal. It's what was terrifying of going on the streets for treasure hunting until finding the clues became normal. And then what's terrifying is to do more, to ask God for the prophetic word that's going to unlock it, to have the boldness to then go for the, the, the prayer and seeing them healed to then leading them to, to come to Christ. And so vision is what takes you through the vulnerability to it becoming normal and every day. And then you go after the next giant. So sometimes we find our lives stuck. And it's not because God is faithless. It's because... There are some things we have to partner with him and co-labour with him and fight for. There's some things that it's us and him together. There are some things you can get prayer for and have an impartation for. There's some things that you just have to work out with God on the front line of battle where you find him to be faithful and you find him to be good and you find him to be enough so that you have a story of a walk with God. That's why Paul says to Timothy, you know, you've got a war and you've got a fight and you've got to wrestle according to the prophecies that were made about you. There are things that will just get stuck unless we walk with God and overcome with God and we wage warfare with God. There are things that sometimes just take longer than they needed to because we haven't done what God says to Joshua in Joshua 1. Actually, meditate on the promises. Meditate on my commands. Meditate on what I say. Get my perspective into your heart. Get my culture in there so that you can make your way prosperous and successful. Don't let this book of the law, it says, depart from your mouth. But meditate on it day and night. Think about it. Get the culture of heaven. Get my perspective. Overcome hopelessness and get hope. Overcome fear and get my love in you. Sometimes we can be wanting to impress God by reading a lot of the Bible, but not believing any of it. It's better to have spent a year in one passage of ten verses and come out the other side of the year believing it and being transformed by it, than feeling that you impress God, who's already impressed with you, and you already have his love and affection and attention anyway, by thinking we're going to impress him by reading copious chapters. There's great things in reading loads and getting big overviews and big perspectives, but there's something about the Holy Spirit as well, bringing alive a verse, so you meditate on it, you think about it, you mutter it, you speak it over it until it becomes the culture of your heart. Amen. So it's overcoming 
what's terrifying through obedience. And that's how we grow. And so it can be that moment where you find the Holy Spirit exposes a lie about what you believe about yourself and what you believe about God or other people or your circumstances. And then he brings a scriptural truth that you're to replace that with. How many of you know that when you have always fought in a certain way all your life, and God says, you have based that perspective on your, of yourself and of me on a complete lie, that it takes vision to overcome the pain of thinking a new thought and living a new way. That it takes radical decision to say, I'm going to walk deeply with other believers. That Jesus gave himself to build a church and to build a people. We're going to be unpacking this. This vibrant family thing is so important that Jesus gave himself to build the church. The church is his family. It's brothers and sisters. It's life flowing from member to member. It's different ones with different gifts and callings. It's, it, 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 it's the one anothering passages. It's encouraging one another, giving to one another. That actually it takes great courage to say, I'm going to walk deeply with other people. It takes great courage to say, I'm going to be in a family where I'm going to be really honest and real wherever I am about my faith and where I'm at, about my doubts and my needs. I'm going to be honest. It takes courage to be part of a community group, to give yourself to a bunch of people and say, I'm going to meet with these people. I'm going to walk with these people. I'm going to let these people in. It takes great courage to be part of a family. It takes great courage, that first moment where you know you've received a gift from God and you begin to exercise it in order to love and to bless others. It takes great courage to do that. Sometimes we talk about that moment when someone might pray out loud in a group for the very first time. But there's always another giant and there's always another thing that you can do. That first moment you encourage someone else. That first moment you, you share who you are and you bring who you are to bless them. It can be huge courage for us to present to people Jesus and say, actually, he's the answer for this. He can heal this. And to speak encouragement to people. It takes great courage and vision to intentionally grow in those areas. It takes vision for freedom to decide that you're going to forgive. It's great vision that says, I will not hold on to that bitterness. I will not hold on to that resentment. I will not hold on to that unforgiveness. I will not be bound by that anymore because I want to live in the liberty and the freedom of heaven's culture, which is beautifully generous and beautifully forgiving. It takes vision to do that. We have to intentionally give away our time, intentionally give away our money, to intentionally give away our encouragement. To intentionally serve the body. It takes vision and intentionality to have that hard conversation. To express what you need. To say how you feel. And so vision is the thing that pulls us past seeing what's wrong. It's the thing that pulls us past the obstacles. And it's the thing that pulls us past the costs and the challenges. See, it's vision that when you wake up on the morning on a Sunday and you think, am I going to go or not go to be amongst God's people? It's actually going to be vision that's going to cause you to say, no, I'm going because I've got a gift to bring, I've got an encouragement to bring, and I need the strength that flows from member to member. It's vision that gets you there. 
It's vision that gets you to go to bed earlier on a Saturday night so you can be up ready on a Sunday. It's vision. So it's not the law. It's not someone coming and telling you you've got to do it because he won't be pleased with you if you don't. But grace says he's already pleased with you now because he's so pleased with you. Live in the goodness of that revelation and the freedom of that revelation. So it's vision that gets us past the obstacles and the challenges. And this is so vital. In Numbers 13, when they saw the vision, they tasted the vision, and they touched the vision, they had a mindset where all they could see was what's wrong, and the obstacles, and the challenges, and the difficulties, and they made up stories to create fear rather than faith, because they were terrified about going in the land and having to overcome the giants, or overcome the challenges, or overcome the battles. And it was that fear that caused them to be bound by the reality they had to wander around aimlessly for 40 years until that generation died out and then the Joshua and then the Caleb went in everybody here has a part to play in the kingdom of God that Jesus is calling the whole family out to a place where we have him alone and we trust him. That he's calling the whole family to the place of bold faith that sits on the shoulders of quiet trust. He's calling all of us. My heart for all of us is that we, we use this precious moment when we're alive on planet Earth to say... I want it to be as it is in heaven. Mm. That I want to see a, I want to be part of a vibrant family. I want to be full of hope and joy. I want to be so transformed by his presence, love and power, that I overflow the reality of his kingdom in my daily life. And that God is calling all of us to that. For some of us who have just come on the road of following Jesus, that's going to look maybe like baby steps. For some of us who have been on the road longer, that might look like something more spectacular. I have seen people go from baby steps to overtake everybody in a single bound. <laughs> Get saved, come into a culture, be praying for the sick, be, be evangelising everywhere. Think, wow! You know, the exponential growth that you can see. And to believe that God in this season is bringing us to a real place of clarity of saying this is where this family is going this is what we're about this is what it means for us to enter the promised land that it's going to be as it is in heaven in, in our hearts we want the rule of heaven to be increasing in our families in the places where we work in the environment that we serve in our community and that's what he's calling us to and my prayer really is that the Holy Spirit for each and every one of us will just let you over these few weeks taste, see, touch vision so you think, I want that. I want it so badly that I will sacrifice for it, that I will endure hardship for it, that I will push through pain for it, that I will give myself to it because I have seen it and I want it. There is so much joy in the kingdom. There is so much hope in the kingdom. There is so much freedom in Jesus that it's amazing. <laughs> and there's always more of it because he's an infinite God. 
And that the vision really starts with this. I will give my life to explore that. What does this space of relationship with him look like, feel like? And I believe that it's not just for me, it's to overflow to the world.